0: What's up, people? Tuesday, August 23rd. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by Dan Nathan. I don't know what's going on. I really can't figure this out, but it's Tuesday, which comes before Thursday. But in just a few minutes, EY from SoFi, special guest appearance. I'm fired up, timely, as they say. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, Dan, get your money right all in one app. And we're powered by Open Exchange. Last night, the Yankees were powered by one Andrew Benatendi.
1: All right. Well, what what are we thinking? That's the first of three guys, you know, when the Mets... I guess when the when the when the Yanks were in Queens, what it was about a month ago, they played two games and they got swept. Yeah, Maybe they the did. Yankees will yes, return they the favor up in the Bronx.
0: Here, buddy. We can only hope. Um, again, as you know, Dan, I've mentioned numerous times. Yes, October is when these things matter. We're still in August, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the twenty-third to be exact. But I just thought I'd mention that for you, Yankee fans out there. I will tell you it's interesting, and we're talking about markets with Liz and stuff, but what is fascinating today, um, market goes lower, some really terrible data comes out, and the market initially, a knee-jerk reaction is for it to go higher. So think about that for a second before we yeah. sort of slide it, Earl, as they say. This is a market that basically is clamoring for a Federal Reserve to somehow stop, pivot, pause, whatever you want. And I got to tell you something. I don't think it's happening, Dan.
1: Yeah, well, I I guess the point is, yesterday and the day before, I mean, markets were basically trying to put the Fed, if you will, on notice here, right? Saying that if you are going to maintain this aggressive hawkish stance in the face of weakening data, right, then there's a really good chance that risk assets go much lower. And mm-hmm. I know you and I have gone back and forth on this. we talked about it you know, on CNBC. At any given moment, you'll hear a conversation about it. There's a Fed care about the stock market. And I guess the point, guys, maybe they have bigger fish to fry at the moment if you think about what's going on with the housing market here. And I guess let's just talk about some of this data. You know, I mean, I don't know about you. Are, are you as worried 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 about housing coming in, especially after the huge ramp that we had over the last couple of years with unusually low rates? Or does it really not matter if it's taking out a bunch of excess? If it's happening at a time where the broader market is or the excuse me, the broader economy is weakening, the global economy is weak. Is it just, just one less thing that we need to contend with? And is that the sort of thing that, again, put the stock market with the housing market? Is that enough to get the Fed's attention? Because you know where I stand. I don't think it's going to get their attention right now. It's too early in this hiking process.
0: It's much too early. Um, they've actually said it. If you go back and listen to June 15th, Jerome Powell, as he was walking off the stage, he actually yeah. warned – millennials not to buy homes. I'm paraphrasing, but this is something they want to happen. Brian Kelly talks about it all the time. You know, their want for asset prices, specifically housing prices, to moderate and to cool. So, they're getting what they want. So, in that regard, I'm not worried about it. What makes me worried, though, is you have to wonder how levered people are to their homes. Again, did they make the same mistakes they made some 14 or so years ago? And that's really the concern. So, again housing has to cool it is cooling every data point suggests exactly that this will help but um, it's not the panacea it's not the end all it's a portion of it it's a portion of this equation but it's not the entire equation.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting, guys. We're just kind of getting on here for market call. I'm looking at my fact set machine here, and I'm reading an article that's quoting a Schwab um, survey this month of of investors under 40, and the headline is, Young Retail Traders See Even Worse Times Ahead for Markets. 60% of Millennial and Gen Z um, investors that were surveyed here, they see a a hawkish fedge causing a much greater decline in the stock market. I would assume that if you were surveying them about housing, it would look pretty similar. And to your point, a lot of areas where they were putting money over the last couple of years, new to the markets, new to housing, right, record low rates, easy access to all those financial products, a lot of them have corrected. And then some, you know, all of a sudden now, you just don't have that investable capital. You have a bearish outlook. Maybe you've captured all of, you know, the job gains or wage gains that you're going to have you start i mean that's the doom loop right is that and so that's why i guess a period like this could last longer than people right. expect and that's why listen if this were
0: to happen organically there are things called business cycles some of you out there yeah. may have heard of them um that are natural part of what goes on in economies unfortunately you know for whatever reason we found it necessary to sort of try to alchemy out certain portions of the cycle and what winds up happening is the downturns, which should ha- happen in a normal environment, yeah. happen that much quicker and that much more severe. So, to answer your question once again, it doesn't worry me per se because it's a natural part. You need this to cool. That's what happens. You have ebbs and plo- flows, it's the speed with which it's happening. And I think that's going to have some ancillary trickle down effects. It's going to scare people. So, yeah. you know, there are no straight lines. And, you know, they've created this and they're going to have to weave their way out of it. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, I guess the other point is the speed in which is happening. I mean, you know, if we think about the rally that we had in the stock market off of those lows since that Fed meeting, you know, in late June. I mean, that was just a straight line higher for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of I think one you know, one of the reasons why we've had this kind of pause in the rally, if you will, is yields. We talked about it yesterday on market call. Ten-year treasury yield above 3%. Here's an interesting tweet from Carl Quintanilla. Yeah, you just Q. call him what? You just call him I just Q. Q. He like is a, he's, he's like a bond character. He is a prolific tweeter, right? But he said it's getting to the point where you can set your clock to it when the yield on the 10-year US Treasury yield hits 3% sell stocks. That was from Bespoke. There's a chart there, little red dots showing you when it hit 3% and how the market sells off here. Let's look at the S&P 500. We've charted it. I mean, as Carter would say to the penny, the 200-day, the downtrend, right? You see where we are. 4,100, kind of a big level. is a breakdown level in May. Where are we going in the S&P near term, Guy? First stop should be, and this is
0: not because it's a round number, so again, don't at me, but if you think about sort of where we traded down to and now where we Subsequently traded up to the natural first stop is going to be around 4,000. That's a 50% retracement of that, you know, basically here, the levels we just got up to recently and that low we just made. So let's just put 4,000 out there. But obviously, I think uh, significantly lower from there, but that's a natural place to pause. And I got to tell you something, you know, Carter does the work, he brings the charts. We've talked about this now seemingly for months. I think we've sort of outlined it decently well. And I don't think it's coincidence that we traded up to seemingly for the short term, at least failed at those levels. And we'll see how it plays itself out. Most of earnings are out of the way. I think people will digest this earnings period and say, hey, the stock reactions were really good, but maybe these earnings releases weren't nearly as good as the commensurate move that we saw. So there can be a lot of unknowns over the next couple of weeks, not least of which, um, obviously, this Jackson Hole thing at the end of this, I think it's the end of this week. And as we get closer to that Fed meeting in September, and oh, by the way, we have another CPI print. So there's a lot to digest in between. And as you know, Dan, September's can be cruel months to the market, historically speaking. Do you know what
1: I love it when you say, oh, by the way, you know, because yeah, like, you I know- I do like, that just be, because no, I know there's some I,
0: bingo players.
1: No, I know. And, and you know what? It's funny. It's like, we could almost abbreviate it. It could be OBTW, you know, like the way the kids do in the text or on the O-B-T-Y. Snapchat or whatever. OBTW. Oh, I yeah,
0: can't there you do go. Well, they say BTW, so B-T-W. you know,
1: all right, let's, let's look at the NASDAQ 100 really quickly here, guy, below that 13,000 level. Level. That was a bit of a gap on Friday morning here. Tough level, if you think about it, it was that kind of intraday low back in March before that huge rally. It was a breakdown level in early May. I think you and I would both agree the next stop easily there is probably 12,000 to the downside. I just want to, Amanda threw this into the rundown here. This was a tweet that I put out this morning. This was a Silicon Valley bank here. that was looking at just the current bear market uh, in NASDAQ stocks, comparing it to the great recession, the dot-com bubble. And then listen, there's a lot of overlays, you can see these things however you want. You can say it's different this time because this or that. My only comment was 64 days of cognizant dissonance mm. because it was 64 day rally, 23% higher here. And you and I have been talking about this, man. It's just like, like the, the way that people wrap themselves into pretzels trying to justify whatever their thought was, like that was it, that was the bottom. I think we talked about it for most of those 64 days. It just seemed kind of curious to us. So where are you right there? On all those bottom calls right now guys. it's
0: interesting you know i think you just hit the nail on the head people always are trying to solve for an answer like they have the answer that backs up their belief system and then they yeah. try to solve for that so they'll jam anything they can in order to justify the answer instead of just looking at the data and then allowing it to create the answer for you that was deep as hell and that's from somebody who has no idea what cognitive distance dissonance is with that said people are so um hell bent on being the next person to call a bottom or a top they trip over themselves and you know what it doesn't do anybody any good quite frankly i mean i'll never be that person a because i can't do it and b because i think it's somewhat disingenuous you know everybody wants to create that mark haynes moment to live in infamy or to live in shouldn't say infamy but to live in basically in digital for the rest of mankind reality is it's not going to happen so As many people rush to call those bottoms i think you're going to see an equal number of people like mike wilson from morgan stanley who says you know what the risk reward in the middle of june set up really well to the long side the risk reward right now does not nearly set up as well And as a matter of fact, it sets up better to the short side.
1: Yeah. And I guess the point, you know, I was just texting with a friend and he's not in the business, but he's an investor. We're talking about, okay, so how do you get back in the market, you know, after a move like that? And so again, you know, you don't chase it on a move up until where we went. And I just, I wanted to make the point with the NASDAQ 100, the QQQ, the ETF. I started buying it in May at about, I don't know, like in between like 300 and 290. And it went down to 280 at the lows in June, but it had that huge rip. 335 or something like that. Now, I pieced out of it. So now the question is, how do you get back into something like that? Well, you mm-hmm. have to pick a spot, right? And it's relative to sentiment. It's relative to the news flow. it's relative to what you think the catalysts are, where rates are, all that sort of stuff. But at some point, I'm never going to pick a bottom in this thing. I know I want to own the NASDAQ 100, the QQQ a year out, two years out. So at some point, you have to say, where do I start dollar cost averaging? We've talked a lot about that this spring. People think we're perma bears, this. Nuh-uh, man, we've come up. With a lot of ideas on the long side and how to trade them. Last thing before we get to Liz, guy, um, David Rosenberg in his weekly, or excuse me, in his morning research note that we get here um, at. Market call. He said, silly season is over as the junkie bear market rally hit the wall and reverse course in yesterday's market action. True lows and newly established bull market cycles require that value proposition takes the leadership role over growth stocks. That's to wait for the confirming signals before hopping in. That's probably a good segue to our friend. No
0: doubt about it, and it answers the question. The, the you know the back and forth you had with your friend. I mean, that's really when you know. And look, you never get to your point, Dan. You're not going to pick the bottom, but you have to have an entry point. Okay, this is where I will start. If it gets there, then you start the process and let it no. sort of nature take its course from there. I can't believe it. Um, by the way, something happened last night to aggravate both Ey from Sofi, who is now joining us. Put her on the screen. And, G Swizz, yours truly. By the way, great job as part of the IC earlier today. I caught every minute of it. Uh, But last (laughs) night, Jordan Montgomery, uh, who pitched magnificently for the Yankees, traded for a guy that has a boot on to the Cardinals, pitched a complete game one-hitter. Now, that aggravates me for a myriad of different reasons. It aggravates EY because, of course, her brewers are chasing the Cardinals, being led by a resurgent, Albert Pujols, how are you, by the way?
2: I'm good. The Brewers won last night, beat the Dodgers. Was it- I was sound asleep, but it happened. And I think we're five. Maybe we're only four games back now, but that's it's four too many.
0: So you heard, I don't know if you caught any of the things that Dan and I uh, have been, been opining upon, but it's a good place. Look, I think this is a good pl- Yesterday would have been a perfect day. Today's just as good in terms of the market where we are taking its temperature. Because I got to tell you something, you nailed it in June. And I think you actually started getting a little cautious over the last couple of weeks. So kudos to you. Thoughts as to where we are here, EY.
2: Well, so I don't wanna claim that I was right because I wasn't entirely. I wasn't entirely. And over the last couple of weeks, because the rally went so far so fast, I thought to myself, okay, at 18.3 times forward earnings, that's too much, right? We had one one cooling CPI print and we had this rally. And I, I just said this on halftime report. It was as if people were like, oh my God, this is the first day of the rest of my life, right? It's all over, everything's fine. And then suddenly yesterday, everybody said this is the beginning of the end it doesn't have to be that black and white, and you don't have to be a bull or a bear. So I think what's gonna happen here, and you guys were making this point a little earlier, is that, okay, the rally went maybe a little bit too far, but that rally was predicated on the idea that the Fed was suddenly dovish, and they never were. They never said they were. They were never going to be. So. Now we have to give it back leading into Jackson Hole, which, yes, Guy, is this week, Thursday and Friday. Mm -hmm. Powell's going to talk on Friday. But
0: Jackson Hole is actually every day, if you think about it. It's like, you know. I've never been. You know, it's a magnificent place to go to anyway. So,
2: So now leading into that, the expectation is that they're going to stay as hawkish as they were or become more hawkish. So here we are sort of giving some of it back. Volatility picks up. So what I think is going to happen in the next few weeks is that we end up chopping around in this range while we figure out how bad is it going to get if it's going to get worse. But here's my question, and I would would kind of throw this back to you guys. And the good news is I'm good at admitting I'm wrong. So if I end up being the bull of the three of us and I'm wrong, I will fully admit it. But in order for us to go back and retest the lows, ignore technicals right now. Let's just ignore the charting, which I know is crazy, but just ignore it. In order for us to go back and retest the lows, wouldn't you agree that something would have to fundamentally get worse than it was in the first half of June?
1: And what would that be? It is. I mean the data is getting worse all around us.
2: But and, and but the market but the market predicts that, right? So yeah, in the so, first so, half of June, yeah. we were already expecting that. So what yeah. would still have to get worse?
1: No, I mean but you I mean I think you're just, you know, trying to be a little chatty here. Uh, you know, uh, I mean like you just answered it. I mean, you know, sentiment was really bad heading into that Fed meeting in late June, right? And we know that Q2 was ending. We know that like as far as expectations for earnings that had been coming down were fairly dramatic here. And so we had a Fed that basically said they're going to stay the course. But then once the data that like one point that 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 CPI reading you know kind of changed the narrative here and you just kind of took a little pressure off a market that was very, very compressed. And so here we are now we have this massive rally here, but the data like across the board looks really bad, right? From housing, I mean, like, so I I don't know. I mean, um, you know, I I think trying to play for like a minor pullback right here and reloading to the upside. I know Tom Lee over at Fundstrat thinks that we see 4,800 by the end of the year, that's just not happening. I mean, it's just not happening because the global economy guy, you've been talking about Germany for the last two weeks, just the global economy feels about as weak as it's been since the start of 2020.
0: And if you saw, I know you, I probably noticed that I had my hand raised in order to effort (laughs) (laughs) in observation, and I was not called upon, which brings me back to sort of my grade school days, but that's probably a different show. To answer your question, this energy genie gets back out of the bottle again, and I think it's happening right before our eyes, and I think OPEC has basically drawn a line in the sand, listen, we're not letting energy, we're not letting crude oil fall below a certain price. I think that's pretty clear now. Um, you have a lot of things happening over the next couple of weeks in terms of energy and this Nat gas situation is not getting any better. And one thing I put on Twitter and I actually believe this crude is garnering all the headlines, but natural gas is the real story. And that continues to grind higher. And you look at the inflation numbers in Germany, which are just, you can't even make them up. They're so bad. Europe is a mess. And at a certain point, I think it works its way over here. So to answer the question. I think it could all hinge on what happens with energy over the next couple of weeks, but Dan, I'm going to throw it back to you because we want to get this show moving along.
1: Yeah, we do. No, I mean, listen, you know, I guess the other point is some of the headlines about, you know, like um, just, manufacturing moving out of China. You know, Guy, you've been highlighting, I think you tweeted something uh, the other day, or maybe you put it in our internal chat, just about the millions, the tens of millions of unsold apartments in China. And, you know, like, if you think about this, if we do see a lot of manufacturing move out of China for a whole host of reasons, uh, worries about, you know, reliance for supply chain reasons, geopolitical reasons, whatever the heck it is, man. I mean, if that economy continues to slow, the global economy, it's been the engine of that for decades now. So to me, that is definitely um, a concern. All right, Liz, though, you heard what I had to say about a survey um, about some millennial and Gen Z investors here. They are definitely a large contingency of the so far, I'm assuming customer base here. How are you talking to, let's say, that sort of investor who wants to be exposed to the market? They have some near term concerns, right? That Maybe it's been a rocky road for them. They're also seeing in their personal finances, forget the investing, just less disposable or investable income because of inflation. Where should they go? How should they kind of position themselves, be a little bit defensive? Let's assume that we can all agree it's going to continue to be volatile, at least through the end of the year.
2: Uh, excellent question. And you don't know the background to this, so it was very well-timed. First of all, we conducted a survey as well, and about 60% of our investors at SoFi are between the ages of 20 and 40, so fall squarely in that camp. Mm-hmm. We conducted a survey of them, and 74% of them said that they were planning to invest just as much, if not more, over the next six months, despite recent volatility. Mm-hmm. I took a lot of comfort in that answer because it we had this fear that those newer investors were gonna be scared away by their first bear market and wouldn't come back, but it turns out they're still here. And I was in California last week, we recorded some videos, one of which was me talking about how to invest in a recession. And as we know, the takeaway is you have to be diversified. And I think one of the things that a lot of these newer investors have gotten really comfortable with because it's natural, it's what they're interested in is technology stocks and all of them, tend to work at tech companies too, or fintech companies. What you have to do though, in a portfolio, especially in a time like this, where you can find data that tells you things are getting a little bit softer. You can also find contradicting data. So it gets really confusing is make sure that you have allocations to some of that defensive stuff, the stuff that feels like a ball and chain in a rally. And some of those things are things like, Treasuries, now that we're back above 3%, I think it's a good entry point. Make sure you've got a little bit of exposure there. Sectors like healthcare, where you can kind of hide out in healthcare and in the large cap space, healthcare is really thought of traditionally as a defensive sector. And I would be, Steering away from some of the defensive sectors that have seen a big uprun recently, things like utilities and staples, because they seem a little bit overpriced. So healthcare is the good option there. And then this one is a little bit more esoteric, but think about in the consumer staples sector, looking at things like food, beverages, and tobacco, and think about what's just happened over this summer. Services, inflation went up a lot. Everybody went back out. It was actually cheaper to eat in restaurants than it was to eat at home. If and when inflation falls, whether it's because of a big global slowdown or not, you're going to see those food prices, those goods prices, come back down, and then people stay home and buy things that they can do at home. So, looking at consumer staples in a little bit more of a narrow lens that way too.
0: It's interesting. Let's throw that TLT chart up because obviously this is the one that sort of it doesn't mirror, but it's the inverse of where yields are going. And as you see. We had that big move up. That suggested 10-year yields going down. In this this case, this is 20-year, but you get what I'm saying. The 10-year yields traded back down about 2.5%. Now, as yields are starting to go higher, we're going to get fast approach to lows we saw, oddly enough, uh, in June. Question is, that's a great entry point. I think you're right, by the way, because I'm hard-pressed to believe that rates are going to go meaningfully higher in the 10-year or the TLT is going to be meaningful lower from here. Dan, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the yield, I mean, Guy, we talked about this three and a half to two and a half to three. I mean, think about that. That has happened in the last month and a half. And you make this point all the time. I mean, to get that sort of movement, you know, used to take like a couple years, right, in the 10-year US Treasury yield. So I don't think yields are going materially higher here. I think it's going to be a function of the fact that growth is going to slow materially and we're going to be below the sort of growth that we had been expecting coming out of the pandemic. And so to me, I just think that, you know, we had Carter on yesterday and we we're looking at that 30-year chart of the 10-year US Treasury yield. It, you know, on a log basis, it is upper left, bottom right, and has barely even come out of that. And you think about where sovereign debt loads are to me. So I don't, I don't love, you know, um, I don't love playing for higher yields right here. Um, and I think that's also what Liz is saying. And then lastly, let's throw up um this ex. LV, this is the the ETF that tracks um, healthcare here, guy. This is an area that I know that you focused a lot on an individual name, and you see that it really was stuck in the mud for the better part of the last year. It fell off the bottom of the chart there. It came back really quickly in early July, but here we are now breaking that that tr- that that really sharp uptrend. Guy, is that some, like this is not a level you want to kind of be buying those right now? And I don't think Liz, you're saying that either, because you may have some of this come your way right as we. Kind of recalibrate after such a sharp rally in two months.
0: United Health, I think the largest holding in this XLV, 10.5%. Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, big names in this. Look, it obviously had that huge run, like many things since June, giving it back now. Um, it's interesting because Lilly down today, Merck down today, so you can understand why this ETF is getting bounced a little bit. I'll say this, despite this trend line being broken and despite us now trading on the wrong side of the moving average, I still think this is a place you wanna be. So I'm with Liz on this one, Dan. I All think right. to <laughs> just
2: real quickly, it's, a, yeah. it's always a relative game in investing, right? So when you look at the valuations, if we do have a correction coming here, Healthcare, even after the rally, still trading below the broad index. So if we have where we have to give back some of that multiple expansion, healthcare has less to give back than a lot of other sectors.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a great point. You know, Liz, you've been on when when Carter's on with us, and he looks at a lot of sectors relative to another. And really, you know, a lot of investors at home, individual investors have a hard time sometimes playing that. But I think when you're thinking about portfolio construction and diversification, I mean, those should be the sorts of inputs that kind of help you think about what sector uh, versus another. Obviously, you're focused on valuation. He's focused on technicals. Guys like me and Guy, we like to kind of put it all together here. So I think that's a really great point too. All right, let's talk Guy a little bit here. And I'd love to get Liz's take. You saw, you know, the, the oil's bouncing here. We kind of opened lower on kind of Growth concerns yesterday, right? Recession concerns. Then OPEC Plus comes out here and they're talking about what? What are they talking about doing with capacity here, supply well, guy? Yeah, because,
0: basically, yeah. I mean, I won't use the vernacular, but they're going to ram it up our you know what. And it's yeah. say, Oh, you know what? Prude's <laughs> at a point now where we maybe, maybe we don't have to raise production. As yeah. a matter of fact, maybe we can cut production. That's exactly what's going to happen, by the way. I mean, believe me, if you think that there are our friends, you're sorely mistaken and you know, they obviously have, have a vested interest in crude going higher. Now, this sell off has been predicated on a couple of things. Obviously, this hope that there'd be um, raising production, number one, and the fact that um, this data continues to get soft. And I think people interpolating or basically connecting the dots that a softer global economy can only mean crude oil goes down. And I totally get that, but I think they're completely overplaying their hand. And we had Halima Croft on last night. On fast money and she spoke to exactly this. So the fundamentals to me are still in place. And I got to tell you something, you know, if OPEC starts to turn the screws, watch how quickly oil turns higher and look how quickly, by the way, yesterday, Dan and Liz, those energy stocks went from very negative to very positive on basically those types of headlines.
2: Yeah, my feeling here is that I'm not going to try to call the direction, but it is one of the signals that would be really important for me to change my mind from being optimistic to quickly pessimistic. If it spikes higher, we're in trouble. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, well, I guess, Guy, would you agree if it spikes higher for, again, you know, some kind of supply kind of, you know, what the saudis want to do relative to price in the face of a weakening economy that would be an absolute disaster for global growth so if you yeah, think about a, some of the issues that we're going to have in europe be a mitigated disaster
0: yeah. it would yeah. be awful and, you know yeah. but it's happening right before our eyes you know we we try to bring up europe not because we want to sound smart because things are happening there that potentially could have an, a broad impact here you need to pay attention. Those German inflation numbers, again, just to hammer that point, were ridiculous. If I had told you you can have a thirty-something percent handle reading in German inflation a year ago, you would have scoffed at me. And now here we are. So anyway, I think it's a really yeah. important impact. And, and basically, when you when Liz asked us the question earlier in the show, you noticed. I actually gave the correct answer, uh, the answer in fact, that she was looking for, so if
2: she, she saying like I a didn't," she
1: saying Ledger," I, I would get like a you both a lamb might be or right.
2: You both might hand. end up being right.
1: No, I know. No, that's good. We're going to tease these things out a little bit. All right, let's 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 hit. Um, Toll Brothers is reporting after the close event. We just kind of referenced some of that housing data. Our friend Doug Cass at Seabreeze Partners, um, he just emailed me. And I think this is a really good point. I love, Liz, to get a sense from you because some of the issues that have gone on in housing, because supply demand, low rates, you know, just migrations from cities, work from home, all this sort of stuff. We saw a really weird housing market, but Doug says this, and we, we kind of know this, but it's a important to kind of be reminded, in January 2021, the 30-year mortgage rate was 2.65%. And The average new home price in the US was Four hundred thousand dollars today. The thirty-year mortgage is five point six five percent. An average new home price is five hundred and forty-six thousand dollars. Assuming a twenty percent down payment, that's a ninety-five percent increase in the monthly payment from about thirteen hundred dollars to about twenty-five hundred dollars. All right, Liz, are you thinking about this? How does this factor into, I guess, disposable income? How it demand for housing? You know, I mean, there's so many things to really think about here. But that is a just the guy in your lifetime, biggest shift in mortgage rates probably on that period of time also. So Liz, how are you thinking about this?
2: Well, Dan, unfortunately you missed last week's market call when I was on, I wrote about housing, title of it was home is where the hard landing is. So this is the spot where you cannot argue things are not getting better, things are getting worse and they're getting worse really quickly. If you look at the affordability index for housing, it's dropped dramatically. But you can flip to the other side and think about it this way. How much of CPI is dependent on what's called owner's equivalent rent? If home prices start to fall, you're going to see that bake through into CPI. It's going to take a few months. It does take, I think, about three or four months before you actually see that come through in the data. But it does portend some kind of drop in CPI, which I think, and this is why I'm more optimistic through the end of the year, I think the market is going to care more about the CPI data coming in than it is about the Fed continuing to hike rates because we know that that's going to happen. But if you see this weaker housing data bake into CPI and really bring those numbers down, I think that ends up being actually a good thing for stocks.
0: Dan, I think we should allow EY to leave. By the way, O-E-R, owner's equivalent rent, not to be confused with the Gen Z band O-A-R, produced by my dear friend and subsequently Dan's dear friend, the great John Alasia, who chances are is watching this right now. Uh, You can follow Liz on Twitter, but you are already, but I'll say it just in case there's some straggler here, at Liz Young, strat. And check out the blog at sofi.com slash blog. Uh, You put in yeoman's work today. You were on the IC, you came in hot here on market.
1: And guys, special in. announcement, special announcement, why she's on on Tuesday, because on Thursday, no, we're, going, stop it. Yes, we're going deep with Liz, you, me, Danny, Moses, we're all going to be in a studio, we're going to do on the tape podcast that's going to drop Friday morning, so it's going to be Liz Unplugged here, we try to keep it together <laughs> a little bit on Market Call, don't we? Wow, so what you're saying is we're doing that in real life, or something like uh, that? I As the kids say, all right, Liz, (laughs) get ready because it's on. All right. We'll see you Thursday. Thanks so much. All All right. Thanks a lot. All right, like guy, Donkey let, Kong. Anyway, yeah. sorry, Dan. All right, let's let's circle back to, to Toll Brothers here. And again, you know, some of the reactions, you know, last week we had a lot of volatility in retailers. Today we have a couple retailers that are up. You see Macy's, you see um, Dick's that are up. I know you like that one. So let's talk a little bit about what you're expecting from Toll here. Is there anything to extrapolate to just kind of some of that housing narrative we just talked about? Um, you know, the stocks down 37% on the year it's trading at i think a funny level if you just look at the five-year chart guy it is almost at the exact midpoint of the five-year so what would call carter call that chart we didn't put a line there
0: of twos he yeah. would say and he'd be right i mean you can trade this look i mean the obvious thing is you trade it around yields um and that's worked to your earlier point yeah. about i think that was q's tweet about every time 10 year gets to three percent sell the market it's pretty true here in hobblers as well but in terms of the metrics Backlog and you know cancellations; those are the things that's sort of going to be interesting to me to see. In fact, if backlog is going down, which I guess would be a good sign, mm-hmm. and if cancellations are going up, which probably is a good sign as well. I mean, all anything that's sort of is going to shine a light on on slowing um, housing, I think on the margins, as counterintuitive as it sounds, is probably a good thing.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, again, you know, we highlight some of these. Um, you know, pre-earnings moves, eight percent implied move in the options market. I mean, your guess is as good as mine, especially when you look at where the stock is mm-hmm. trading. You know, on a one-year basis, a five-year basis. But again, I mean, we find all of this data really interesting to help kind of. Think about right the markets and the economy in a big mosaic sort of format, and then figure out some stuff to do after we have some information. Let's just quickly look back um, a couple names that we previewed last night briefly. Guy, um, one up, one down. What do you want from me? Well, um, yeah. yeah let's, let's 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 talk about this this palo alto because i think both you and i were in agreement that just on valuation we all know the fundamental story the secular story it's intact here it's really hard to get your arms around a story at a valuation like that when you've seen basically 90 percent of its peers sell off at least 50 percent from its highs over the last year and a half or so
0: best in class valuation stretch that's been the case literally since people even heard of palo alto networks they've been trying to shoot against it on valuation and a couple times they've been able to do it And what I said last night is, and what I said yesterday is I thought there's a good chance that this stock would get through those levels to the upside, that 200-day moving average. Here we are. So what I said last night is what I'll say here. You don't chase this stock. It's, It's over the course of the last few years, it's given you countless times to buy the back and fill. And my sense is you're going to see it again. But when you see a quarter like that in the environment that we find ourselves in, I think it speaks volumes as to how successful this company is. So my sense is you wait for the pullback, back to the 200-day moving average, and you try to establish a long position from that. Zoom is the other one. I think we did a good job on this one too, Dan. Let's okay. take a look. Zoom rallied 55.0% from basically those maze lows. It went from 80 to 120. I can do that math. And here we are round tripping it. And I gotta tell you, I think you would agree, and Jim Chanos pointed it out. Uh, this quarter looked like, it was a bad quarter. Just just when you look at it, um, in a tertiary way, and then when we really get down to brass tacks, it was even worse. So I know you're going to start to probably build a position here, probably correctly. So but that was not a good quarter.
1: Well, yeah, last night what we said, I mean, on market call is like, listen, I'm not touching this thing before it. Um, I think that you do need to see a bit of a capitulation. What might that be, a a miss and a guide down? And we kind of had that here in the stock we thought would be headed back towards those spring lows, if you will. But again, I mean, there's no reason to buy this today um, on this move. I mean, investors who've been long this story and haven't sold the date, or maybe you bought it near the lows. I mean, you really want to see how this thing could potentially. Hold here, but we make this point all the time. I mean, the stock. Stock's down more than 50% of the year. It's down probably 80% from its all-time highs. I mean, stocks that go down 80% can get cut in half again. And I think it's really important to kind of understand that this stock, if you look at a five-year chart of this thing, I mean, this company went public at $36, you know? And if you look at Chanos's tweet thread here and you think about where this thing is, um, you know, trading on massively decelerating revenue growth, again, this is a profitable company, but revenue growth is just kind of ground to a halt here you really want to see one more puke and maybe it is something that looks like back towards those lows guy from you know i don't know i guess that's the start of 2020 or so
0: it's not a growth stock anymore but it's got a growth stock valuation you wait till it gets to probably like maybe four times sales ish um i think it's what is about 25 billion or so company now so you can start doing that math or you get to a valuation which is a market multiple or lower which makes sense and we're not at either one of those right now That's the way I would look at it, Dan Nathan. And this has been, I've enjoyed this market call. Have you?
1: (laughs) Well, I think you enjoy most of the market calls. The market calls where you start out kind of recapping a little bit of what the Yankees did or did not do the night before and what they might do that evening. I think are when you have the most fun, I think people forget that you were guy from Morristown calling in all the time. You had like a regular spot on that Boomer and geo sort of show we need more we need more sports talk gaiadomi that's what we Well
0: need. I mean I can call in from time to time you know it's funny not that anybody cares I but care. I actually and I'm not saying this to be a jerk I actually do have the hotline number the number where you could dial in and they will pick you up I know. Um, but I don't call in on that number when I'm a caller I call in on the regular number because that's the right thing to do, Dan Nathan. It is. You know what though? Was it last
1: year? Didn't you? Did didn't you actually sit in there and do the full show with that? I was, was the first
0: guest. I was during COVID. I was the first guest they had back in the studio. Little known fact, but yeah. yes, I sat in with Greg Giannotti. Boomer was out, and I filled in on a Wednesday. I think Jerry Recco was there, and we had a blast.
1: Yeah, it was great. I listened to a bit of it. Um, okay, man. Well, listen, I listened to a bit of it. If you look at my Twitter somewhere, I probably tweeted it out. I'm your biggest fan, Guy and Donnie. Come on. All right. We did this thing, right? We did yeah, it. We it, did. Was a, it was a weird Tuesday. So we're doing our CME day. That's going to be our big macro day. We wanted to move that to Thursday because that's when the Jackson Hole thing starts, and we're going to hit all things all risk assets that we think are going to be moving around after that Jackson Hole meeting,
0: guy. There's the method to our madness. Yeah. Um, I want to thank our sponsors, Fact Set. I want to thank our sponsor, SoFi. I want to thank us being powered by Open Exchange. I want to thank EY from SoFi for getting off the set of the halftime report and joining us on this Tuesday. We're looking forward to her to on the tape on Thursday, which drops on friday <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow dan and wednesdays have become must listen every day's must listen but Wednesdays specifically because we got the great carter braxton worth and we got tom sosnoff yet again from tasty trade see you later folks see you later thanks, thanks.